this is James Fox, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. That UFO Podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. I I started this pod in May 2020 and from what I remember, I think I was third in the queue. I think it was you and then Ryan Sprague and then myself roughly that was the order because I watched both of yours in preparing for mine and tried to make it something very different and I recommend people go back and listen to those early interviews with Lou and like you say it seems like a lot longer I think than 18 months ago but that's that's when it was now that was Lou coming out and I remember he started those interviews with yourself with Ryan and with myself apologizing for them not having happened earlier he had been part of To The Stars Academy. He had just left To The Stars Academy. And it seems through some miscommunications, let's say, that he wasn't getting interview requests as we were kind of told. Um, your interview was conducted really respectably. You had been, I don't think before that, I remember you being a critic of Lou, but there was a lot of questions being asked. You got Lou on. How did you feel before your interview with Lou? during and then after had your opinion changed at all because i would think it's fair to say since then you still have a lot of questions that would would look like you're very distrustful of is it fair to say lou or is it a general distrust of government officials so a great question uh and and happy to address it for me it's it's hard to separate Lou as the former government guy versus Lou as a person when it comes to the general public. For me, I separate it. That's how I always looked at it. And some people, I think, took that as a personal attack against Luis Elizondo, the man, the human being. And I never intended for that. And if you remember from my interview, I had started off with an apology to him that if anything had seemed like a personal attack, that it it wasn't. It's not that I distrust government people overall, but there is a lot of evidence to support you shouldn't trust 100% government people overall. It's just fact, right? And especially, and I'm sorry, I'll probably get hate mail, but he's counterintelligence, right? So we always have to question, but to his credit, from almost day one, like his, his interview, I think he did with Open Minds. He wanted the questions. He said, you should question everything, even me. And that's slight paraphrasing, but he said, even me. And that was always the mindset that I took. In fact, I have a big page on, on, uh, on the Black Vault where I talk about TTSA and Elizondo's claims and DOD and then ended up branching that off because it got gigantic. But at the very top, I quoted Luis Elizondo because I think that that was very admirable of him. I wish his biggest fans would understand that questioning him is what he really was essentially saying in the beginning, which is where I was from day one. I don't know the inner workings of TTSA. So to go back to your question, in the very beginning when he said that he wasn't informed that we were trying to interview him, I don't like the hearsay thing. I was told differently. I was told he was aware. Um, so that being said, I don't know where that came from to the stars Academy directly told me if, if your audience is asking, where'd you hear that from? I could tell you, Carrie DeLong had talked to Luis Elizondo or told me directly if there's some kind of lying there by her that's between them. I don't want to get into it, but there was those types of discrepancies that were kind of being, being seen. So leading up to the interview, I had found a way to contact Luis Elizondo uh, that had never been done before. Uh, I always had to go through the TTSA PR people like carried along. And later they got a, uh, British PR firm. Um, I'm not sure why they went into the UK for that, but regardless, uh, it just kind of spiraled from there because they had a couple firms thereafter and it was very difficult to get them on the record. 
But I found a way to get directly to Luis Elizondo. And I kind of put it out all on the table. I'm like, hey, the internet is really crappy when it comes to this. Um, what you're hearing is probably not what I'm saying. So here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm questioning. Here's what I want to find out. And uh, can we do an interview? And and this is why I'd want to do it. So uh, c- really condensing the story, he agreed to his credit. And the interview is is what you saw. Also, to his credit, he never had any, don't ask me about this, don't ask me about that. I yeah. knew that I would push him to the point of, I have an NDA or a security clearance. But regardless, to his credit, he never said, don't ask me about anything. Now, again, I'm trying not to be too long-winded, which I know I can tend to be. No, but, please, but, just go for it. It's fine. So the other part of your question, how did I feel during and after? I can tell you that the majority of the questions I feel still to this day in August of 2022 remain unanswered. And some that were answered during that are great. And and in fact, I've said this a thousand times, a lot of the biggest concerns I have likely do have easy or logical answers to them, uh, but nobody's ever really addressed them before. And so I, I feel like, um, just to give some examples, the videos, the fact that Luis Elizondo in my interview with him, which I think is a very underrated part of my conversation with him, he said he never uh, intended for those videos to be out. And he was not the one that gave them to TTSA and that he had no knowledge of the fact that they had them until they were aired by the New York Times or published by the New York Times in December. Now, he was working for the organization for months at that point. So how do you not know that the videos that internally you were going after to use in an internal database for government use only somehow slipped out of the government without your knowledge and somehow went to the corporation that you're now working for and somehow they never told you for months until December when you found out like the rest of us did? That to me was the most surprising part of the interview. And I did not expect that because I, I don't feel that that was, somebody's not telling me the truth, right? I mean, how, how do we, how do we accept that as part of the story? Um, Because when you look at then the interview that Luis Elizondo did with George Knapp on coast to coast, he went into detail about the process that he did to get the videos out with the DD form 1910. Um, all of us, I'm sure probably, unless you work for the DOD, didn't know what the heck a DD form 1910 was, myself included. I had no idea. So he outlined the whole process, but he never in George Knapp's interview said, yeah, well, I have no idea how these things got out. It was not until the documentation came out through FOIA that showed there was a lot more to the story and that the story we were getting about the videos and the the TTSA's claim about them going through the quote unquote declassification process, all of that was untrue. And so when I had asked him about that grander story, I feel that that wasn't answered. So walking away again to your, to your question, I was a little sad, you know, that I didn't get the answers that I wanted. Uh, Some people wanted me to push harder and I'm not going to do that. You know, I mean, I try and remain respectful in interviews. If I say what color is the house and you refuse to say that it's blue, I'm not going to sit there and put a spotlight on you and say, say blue, say blue. You know, I mean, to put it simplistically, I don't, I don't do that. So I let him answer the way he wanted to answer, followed up and pushed where I could. And that was it. Um, post that interview, I did a couple more with him. I brought him back on when I uh, uncovered the destruction of his emails Uh, so we had post conversations from that and, you know, I really like the guy. I really truly do. And that's, what's frustrating for me is from a personal level, we had so many private conversations along with public ones that I had no problem with the guy on a personal level. He's likable. He's cool. You know, he's fun to talk to because we kind of speak the same language. I've been digging into government secrets forever. And obviously he's like the guy that keeps part of these secrets. So we kind of, you know, in my opinion, spoke the same language a little bit. Um, but it just got weird as time went on. And, uh, you know, a lot of these conversations online uh, that that happened away from me, 
um, but namely some of what a lot of people, myself included, called drama started coming out and you know the the felon list if you want to get into that i'm happy but that coming out and the the use of sock puppet accounts which were those sock puppet accounts were coming after me um it just got weird which is un, uh, unfortunate so long-winded way of answering your question but that's the progression from the ttsa days to my interview and beyond it's um sadly never easy it's never black and white and it's never easy I stay away from the drama stuff on this podcast. It's it's there for which is fine. Seeing. Yeah, I, I tend to mute a lot of that stuff because what's the point ultimately? Yeah. you know when you have to put your phone down and deal with your screaming kids or make dinner or you're totally. walking around. A, <laughs> I, I walk around supermarkets replying to listeners sometimes, and I'm like, ah, I could do without that. So yeah. I tend to stay away from it. But as as is there a place where, and you're right, there have been times from what Lewis said, and this goes for many officials and other people within the, the you know, the, the inner workings of what Lewis has been involved in, what they say at one point over time changes, and that may be subtly, or it may be in a kind of grander scale. And like you say, there, ha- there are certain ways, like the declassification of the videos that wasn't necessarily clear and then got a little bit clouded. Can you see why sometimes not working for the NSA, like you, you know, let's clear that up. You don't, like you say, and yeah. I don't, that there are just things we don't understand why they say things, how they are. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't change that Lou did work where he said he did. He worked on the program he said he did. Or for you, does it still just muddy the waters too much that it does affect the overall picture? Well, I, I think... I think one thing to look at, and I'll go back to what I said earlier, and this is a prime example of it, that the documents don't lie. And you look at the emails between Mr. Elizondo and and Dopser, which is that organization within the DOD that reviews the videos. And then you also look at the documentation from the Air Force Office of Special Investigation, AFOSI, that investigated the release of the three UAP videos, Go Fast, Gimbal, and FLIR. Uh, To me, those documents contradict the story. And that's where I say documents don't lie. If, if, if he wants to refute what's in those documents, um, then I'd be curious to, to hear that. But to your, to your question, does it muddy the waters? Ab- absolutely. It muddies the waters. It doesn't mean that he shouldn't be in this conversation. I'm glad that he is. It doesn't mean that he shouldn't, let's say, testify in front of Congress under oath because, Hey, I'm all for it. And I hope the right questions are asked. Um, I'm not interested in drama um, provoking questions by Congress, mind you. I'm just talking about legitimate questions about what he uh, did, what they found out, and and why is there this pushback by the DoD to say, no, you didn't do that? You know, and I think that that's a legit- legitimate question that doesn't encourage the drama, but rather as somebody who's watched this cover up for twenty six years, and uh, it being a cover-up that's gone on for decades and decades prior to me being born, uh, those are legitimate questions. Because if Mr. Elizondo, being a member of the U.S. military and somebody who uh, has um, excellent evaluations within the DoD, and we've seen them now coming out with the IG complaint, if they are if they are lying about him, we should know that. And. I understand that Mr. Elizondo is saying they're lying, and that's great. They could very well be true. I want to see all this under oath. I, I want to see the Undersecretary of Defense come in as you know the leader of OUSDI and say, hey, this is a lie that the Pentagon spokespeople put out, and I'm here to correct it, or I'm here to support it, however that plays out. Why that's important is because it plays into the foundation of the conversation we're having now. Not you and I, but I'm talking about the grander conversation of UAP. Doesn't take away from the legitimacy of the important cases like Nimitz and so on and so forth that deserve it, but rather, how did we get here? And I am that person that wants every single puzzle piece. So yeah, I would love to see him stay a part of the conversation. I'd love to see him under oath, uh, and I'd love to see what what type of information comes out and, and goes from there. So does it muddy the water in the process? In my opinion, I think we've proven it does. I I, I do. Uh, and the videos are a prime example. There's quite a few others, um, but it muddies the water. But does that mean that we shouldn't have the conversation? In my opinion, no. I think we should continue to have it. I hope he stays a part of it. And uh, we get to know more of the overall story, hopefully sooner than later.
Is all of this a consequence, though, of what we talked about earlier when I mentioned, you know, the the human element of the FOIA process causes issues because people are individuals by their very nature. And even though we put people in positions of authority, and I'm not talking necessarily about Lou here, but even your Susan Goff or your Undersecretary of Defence, your President of the United States, whoever it may be, they are still human and they still make mistakes and they still have their own biases and potentially their own agendas. And that doesn't necessarily mean it can be black and white that, well, maybe Lou did lie a little bit, but for a certain reason, we don't know. And do you know what? Maybe the DOD isn't necessarily lying when they say X, but Y, Z and A all comes into it as well. And that just the fact there are so many cogs in the wheel can make it a very complicated situation where there are shades of grey everywhere. And I just wonder, does, does that play into this that, Maybe they're lying a little bit. Maybe they're all telling the truth a little bit. And maybe there's something else in between as well. And just with the UFO topic, wouldn't that just be be the thing? Because that's what the very UFO topic is like. Why don't we have good pictures? Why don't we have good videos? There's always a reason. And I just wonder, is that the same with all these officials and intelligence officials and government officials? Uh, it's You, you put it eloquently and brilliantly. I, I believe that there are other layers of this onion on both sides of that particular part of the conversation, meaning the Luis Elizondo and and that side uh, and the government side, that there are layers of the onion on both sides that have yet to be revealed. I feel 100% confident to say that, uh, but does that mean that both sides are kind of telling the truth, but also kind of not? Likely so. And I think that we all need to have that conversation and we definitely won't all agree but I think that if you go back to 2000, it was probably um, around April of 2018 when I finally started uh, showing that skepticism openly that you uh, referred to. And the reason why it was then was that December, I was getting FOIA responses from for, that I filed in October because that uh, October of 2017 was when Luis Elizondo did the press conference with TTSA. Fast forward, it took months for what I called the red flags to sh start showing up and things weren't starting to line up. Beginning of 2018, the press officers got involved and the th it just got weird throughout the next few months. I was trying to get in contact with Luis Elizondo to clear things up. Carrie DeLong essentially was kind of that, that wall in between. And then it just kind of went from there. Um, but going back to that time frame, I think is when the skepticism really started for me. And when you look at it, the reaction from the general public and how dare you say he would ever lie? How dare you say that we don't have the full story from him? How dare you say that the videos didn't come out, you know, 100% legit. And I go back to the videos because that's the biggest part of this debate. And in my opinion, the most easily provable fallacy from those beginning days that we were not told the truth about how these things came out and, and evidence definitely proves that in in my opinion, but the evidence is there. So when you go back to that and you see the public's reaction, like there's no way that this wasn't legit. Stop making an issue out of it. Well, since then we've learned that AFOSI agreed with what I was saying publicly, not with me personally, but that idea that these 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 videos didn't come out legitimately. And Christ and if you don't believe me and you don't want to believe the, the government, that's fine. Believe Christopher Mellon because he said it too. He said that rules were bent to get these videos out. So we've solidified that something went awry there. So now fast forward, if we start accepting acceptable lies, where do we draw the line? And it's that age old question, do the ends justify the means? And if you're going to lie to justify a great outcome, and we've got congressional hearings now and hoorah, and there's legislation. So who cares about the videos? Who cares if he lied? Who cares if whomever lied? We're getting progress. Does that justify it? And for me, it's the house of cards scenario. If you build a house of cards with a weak foundation, what's going to happen? It's going to fall. And we've seen stuff like this before. You go back to the mid to late 1960s and you see the push uh, during the end of the Blue Book days, Gerald Ford specifically, and I have all the documentation from Gerald Ford's library. Um, this was another show I done, did for History Channel, which was a lot of fun for me because you see the push that Gerald Ford, then uh, Congressman Ford, was doing 
to get the UAP topic in front of the Senate, have hearings, get legislation. It was a very serious problem in his home state, but much bigger uh, for the United States. It was a national security concern, this and that. And you push and they did convene a group to come together and they did investigate it towards the end of the 1960s. And what did we get? You know, I mean, we got a farce report that ended Project Blue Book, said nothing was to the UFO phenomena, uh, and uh, closed the book, literally and figuratively, and Project Blue Book was closed with the, the Condon Committee report. So you look at that and, and juxtapose that with today, we're seeing very similar things play out. I hope it doesn't play out that way, um, but rather we've seen this before. And so I'm I'm eager to see now moving forward how much those half-truths are going to play a role in this, that if Congress was misled, not saying by anybody specifically, but by the overall story, you know, we, I don't know what your views are on the Wilson Davis stuff, but I'll use this as an example. Even if you believe them to depict real events, they are highly controversial and Admiral Wilson denies them. So do they waste congressional time by pulling in Admiral Wilson and challenging his open statements or what? I'm not really sure. But let's say they do, and that whole thing, you realize that they were kind of told these stories that that's the Congress and the senators finally realize, oh, so this House of Cards really wasn't built on a strong foundation, and we threw all of our you know time and effort into this. Are we going to potentially backfire? So that's where I feel that we need to have the conversation of what is an acceptable lie, because end of 2017, beginning of 2018... We were dealing with 100% truths, according to the to the general public, that those that came out of the government were not lying to us, and we needed to take the next step. Now, here we are in 2022 going, and I'm not putting this on you, by the way, but this actually is part of the bigger conversation. Well, they lied, but it's okay that they lied, you know, because we're getting hearings and so on. Do the ends justify the means? And I'm not here to say yay or nay. Uh, by the way, but but rather pose the question and go, we need to take a step back. We need to look and see what history has taught us through the 1960s with Condon and so on. And are we leading down that path? Is will is are the Wilson Davis notes what you want to put in front of everything else? You know, um, are half truths what you want to put in front of everything else? I don't have the answer to that, but rather it's a conversation. I I think collectively we should all have, and I hope we do. Since I began the podcast, I've spoken to listeners from all walks of life. One of those that comes up quite regularly are doctors and physicians. If you're one of those looking for a change, then consider locum tenens. Whether you're burned out, need a change of pace, or are just looking to supplement your income, locum tenens may be the solution for you. LocumStory.com has nothing to sell. It's simply a resource for information. You'll find super handy tools that let you see Locum's trends for your speciality, compare different Locum's agencies, and there's even a quiz to help you decide if Locum's is right for you. It's a win-win. If this sounds like a completely free resource you could use, then please use podcast link zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod Two, that's the number two. That's zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod two to let them know that that UFO podcast sent you. Yeah, that's there's a few really good points in there, and it's quite a divisive one as to how important even this topic should be in terms of discussion right now. And I've said before, like, I would love to hear the UFO topic discussed more openly in US Congress, but especially here in the UK as well. Uh, maybe that changes, maybe it doesn't in the near future. But someone like my wife is less concerned about the UFO topic and more concerned about the cost of our gas and electric bills coming up sure. and how much it costs to put fuel in the car and food on the table. And people, some people do struggle with that in the, the UFO community. And this is the biggest story of all time. Yes, it is. But right now, the question would be, how does this affect people right now? And do you know what? They still go to work tomorrow. There's no more. There's no flying cars. We don't all get free fuel when we find out aliens are real. That doesn't happen overnight. There's those all those conversations, and for me, that's a really interesting one. And I I can see both sides of it. I can, and I go back to your point also about this has happened before. 
and I, I empathize with people who have been in this topic far longer even than you, people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s who contact me on DMs or email and they say that they really hope this is the time it changes, but they've seen it before. And maybe people far younger don't realize that. And yet yeah, looks great now because we're living the moment. And we've got social media, which is so different. And we get everything instantly. And it's not enough. You've got to have it yesterday, you know, two weeks ago. But yeah, there ha- is, there is an element you have to admit of this has happened before in an extent, in a way. But hopefully the outcome's different this time. And we're people like me, back individuals like Lou, hoping that no, the truths he, are, he is telling come to fruition. I'm going to ask you soon about Gary Nolan, again, an individual who's becoming more prominent and had a really good interview with Tucker Carlson recently as well. So hoping that this time things do change, but also fully prepared for the moment it does go back in the box in some way, shape or form, as much as people like to say it's not going back in the box now, the genie's not going back in the bottle. I'm sure people said that last time, long before there was AOL, DOS chats and everything like that. You know, it, it was back in the Blue Book days, there would have been sure newsletters or whatnot going back about in the 60s and 70s and 80s. So, but yes, yeah, so some really good points there, John, well made as well. And there's some things there I, I fall on the side of, well, I believe Lou. I think he worked where he did, but I also think there have been mistruths down the line by him and others for reasons that I have no right to know and will never find out more than likely as well. A lot of stuff I do want to still get to in the time I've got left, John. Sure, sure. really good. To the Stars Academy, you've touched on. What are your thoughts on To the Stars Academy as an organization? Now, To the Stars was about before and after as a media company. Tom DeLong's a wild cat in his own right, you know, and I've followed his musical career since a kid, a big fan of his music. But then he comes out with all these stories. He puts together this incredible team of individuals with a government background. We know he was working with Podesta and potentially wanted to work with the Clintons and that that kind of fell through. What do you think about the formation of To The Stars Academy? What it achieved in a short time, but then how it's evolved or or devolved depending how people look at it uh i away from the black vault uh started a business about five six years ago i am a 100 percent supporter of anybody who starts a business any entrepreneur fully support that always from day one i've wished tom DeLong luck um and and best wishes for his success that's my business hat when i put the ufo hat on seeing what they wanted to do in the beginning, you could tell they were biting off way more than they could chew. So it's exciting to see that somebody wanted to to lead the effort to build a space plane and look at the people he brought together and so on. But the TTSA that was announced on October of 2017 is not the one that you see today. You know, now sure. we're talking about a production company. I live in Los Angeles. I worked in television for more than a decade as a director and producer writer those are a dime a dozen. Now that's not to take away from uh, his work or even a judgment on quality, but rather that's a totally different endeavor than what it was a few years back. What I think about that though, is that again, wish him the best of luck. But what's frustrating is the UFO aspect to it. In the beginning, always gave him credit for this too. There is no doubt that he started the ball rolling, getting people talking. Part of that was Luis Elizondo coming out onto the stage uh, and speaking publicly. Part of it was, it was just Tom DeLonge, rock star, crazy guy. uh, And I say that with love, but crazy guy saying crazy things. uh, He's getting headlines, right? And that's, I think, what people started to look at. And on top of that, you got to look at those things generate hits and clicks for a dying media industry. So there's kind of a whole lot rolled into the success of the story. But there's no doubt that it was spearheaded by TTSA led by Tom DeLong. But fast forward now, um, the, the thing that I honed in on was wishing him good luck with the business, but I honed in on that army agreement that he made when he acquired multiple pieces of alleged UAP, created a deal with the same entity that he spent so long telling us was lying about UAP. And uh, made a deal with them and said, I'll share our scientific results with you if you share your expertise and equipment with us. And that was the Army CRADA agreement. And I followed that from literally like the the moment it was announced because I was fascinated by it. The fact that the Army would get in, in bed, sorry for the terminology there, but get in bed with an organization that's touting UAP material and stories and so on. And the fact that they would 
take their resources. I don't want to say waste because it's very important. Um, but, but in their eyes, you know, with a, with, um, a topic that they really just don't want to touch and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring your UFO stuff to us and we'll test it. You know, it was just bizarre. And I started working on stories about it. I've written, I think about four since the four big stories, uh, since the creator was announced, uh, working to get statements from Tom DeLong, TTSA, and also statements from the army. I can tell you to summarize my answer. The army is more transparent about that than TTSA. Why? Uh, it's not because it was John Greenwald, um, because I know I'm hated within that circle, but it's anybody who reached out to them. They just don't want to talk about it. Even investors during the meetings, you could, they were very vague about uh, yeah. what they were doing. Army was the only one that was giving me actual answers. Uh, I pushed it as far as I could until FOIA exemptions apply and the corporate uh, entity, the the intellectual property owner, because it's considered their intellectual property, they have to make the decision on what they will release. So I've done multiple stories on it. Um, why I bring that up is how to answer your question. I've been very upset to see that. One of the pieces that they have is something that I'm personally connected to because I put the witness on television multiple times on the History Channel. We conducted scientific tests and profiled his story because I was very drawn to it. He passed multiple lie detector tests, uh, just an honest guy, a um, little controversial with, with some of the things he did um, trying to get exposure for the UFO thing, but his name was Bob White. And all in all, scientists were confused by this piece. They were genuinely and passionately into getting answers. And the reason why I bring up Bob, who has now passed away, but Larry, who uh, last name is Seacander, who now owns the piece and is uh, or was working with TTSA on this particular program, I feel that they got th these are my words, uh, just for the record. I feel that they got screwed over. I feel that they were given promises that were not kept. And that's frustrating to me because as a organization, meaning TTSA, who's advocating for transparency, uh, who's saying, hey, give me your stuff, lend me your stuff, or sell me your stuff, in the case of Linda Moulton Howe, uh, they get all this stuff, and then they just don't share anything or, or say anything or whatever. And uh, for those who aren't aware, because it didn't get national coverage, but I wrote an article uh, getting the Army to confirm that they have run tests on the UAP or alleged UAP material. Tests have been conducted. The last I've heard, no one was told in a TTSA stockholder meeting uh, about the results or anything. And when I asked TTSA, they would not tell me a thing. Uh, they told me to go through their, their annual filed paperwork. That was like all I got during that story. And what was frustrating is, you know, anybody who looks at SEC filings for a corporation, you're talking about just a ridiculous amount of stuff to go through. Uh, and there was absolutely nothing to answer my question. So I was kind of led on a wild goose chase. So I, I always say I'm not trying to be long winded. So I apologize, but hopefully that, that answered your question that the TTSA now is not the vision that people invested in, in 2017. Yeah, I attended, I'm, I'm not a shareholder. A few times I almost put in the minimum, but it went up each time and up each time. And I've got, I've got a family um, and my wife would have killed me. But I attended one of the the recent public calls where you could uh, listen to Tom and Hal Putov discussing upcoming announcements, and it largely focused on the media side of things. Monsters in California, the deal yeah. with uh, Lionsgate, uh, yeah, uh, Chris Nolan's com Chris Nolan's company, um, whichever that one is, and I think I might be getting it wrong. It's not Lionsgate, um, but yeah, it was that sort of we're looking at getting secret machines out and get more books. Paul Anderson. And yeah, it's moved massively in a different direction. And for me, the issue has been Tom DeLong's lack of communication for he was really happy shouting about investing. He was really happy doing not the podcast circuit. He'd done some interviews and talking about what they wanted to achieve. And we're all in this together. And like you say, the transparency really seemed to lack from two of the stars. Um and I think that goes back again to even Carrie, like you mentioned, for some of those early interviews from what I heard. But that's that's kind of hearsay. So, yeah, uh, disappointing from two of the stars. However, I, I kind of watched their media wing with 
intrigue and I look forward to Monsters in California to see what, what Tom puts out because he clearly knows some things that we're not privy to, just in the circles he, he walked in and to see how he puts that across on the big screen, maybe as a different form of de- uh, disclosure uh, and we're yet to see. Mm-hmm. John, I, I want to do a bit of an impromptu uh, quickfire round with you because I've got some listener sure. questions I do want to get to and of a load course. of topics that I, I could be here for two hours more with you. Um, first off, Gary Nolan's interview on Tucker Carlson um, got rave reviews from people. Um, again, I stay at the politics of it. I'm not based in the US. I don't particularly know or care about people's leanings left or right. I stay out of that stuff in the UK because politicians are politicians. For me, they all end up doing the same kind of things anyway. However, Gary Nolan, I thought, came across really well. I think he's really charismatic. He knows how to speak to his audiences and he can take himself up. He can bring himself down. Um, He mentioned particularly, though, pilots and personnel who have medical records that were classified after incidents where they were injured, allegedly, by UAP. Um, Army was denying medical benefits. That was the Rendlesham incident that was being talked about. Are there things there that you've heard you can foyer or plan to foyer based on those records being discussed? Sure. So medical records are completely off limits to FOIA. So there's no way to really confirm that. Uh, the to 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 kind of go to Dr. Nolan's point, he's likely referring to John Burroughs and the Rendlesham yeah. incident and uh, the medical effects that he had after uh, and the trouble that he had to access his own medical records. But when it comes to FOIA and anything medical, it's off it's off limits. So to your question, nothing I I or any FOIA requester could do you need to go to the person that the medical records are about and then uh, file requests in, in different ways. Cool. Uh, NASA is obviously entering the game. Bill Nelson, administrator, has been briefed on the subject in his previous role in, within government and is now pushing things forward, it seems, on the outset. They've got their own independent study has been announced. How do you see this going? Do you think this is a temporary measure? You mentioned counterintelligence, you know, whatever kind of counterintelligence operation this could be. Are NASA part of that or are NASA just jumping on the bandwagon they see rolling down the hill? Well, I I have really dug in on NASA documents. I've done quite a few presentations uh, about them simply because I've received now literally thousands of pages from NASA seeing their inner workings. I believe that there's an aspect of NASA that really is concerned about these phenomena, that they are uh, cleared from a security clearance angle to hear more, including and obviously Director Nelson. But the problem with the public study is that they are not venturing into a classified arena. And in short, uh, to make it very quick, that, in my opinion, from a scientific perspective, flaws the study. And why I say that is because the people that are involved publicly in the study, they are not touching on classified data and they are not encroaching in the classified arena. So if their sensors pick up something that potentially is classified, the way that everything that I've read thus far, they will not be cleared to solve that mystery. So from a scientific perspective, what do you, what, do you, what does that do? And for me, that will skew the data that will skew the statistics because to an uncleared individual working on a program or a study that will become public and they were touting, you know, nothing classified here, no clearance requirement. This is all, uh, you know, essentially unclassified. That's great. But to properly do a scientific study of these phenomena, you have to understand that you're going to run into something classified. You know what is it the X thirty seven that's up there or, or or something to something of that nature mm-hmm. that if NASA's sensors pick something up that they shouldn't that you need to be cleared to understand that particular event is something classified solved but classified so not necessarily unidentified so for me I think the NASA study is flawed I'm sure the NASA scientists will disagree with me on that but if if you're if you're Uh, using instrumentation and data that's up there looking at us, you are going to capture something eventually of classified nature. So to deny yourself that data and access, in my opinion, you flawed the study. Taking a brief step outside of the conversation we've been having, what do you think of the idea that consciousness has a role to play in the connection with the UFO subject? Is this something you've come across often within the documents you receive? Not within the documents that I receive. 
uh, from what I've heard from other people who have experienced things, yeah, it seems like consciousness plays a role in this. Um, definitely outside of my wheelhouse of expertise, but I think I've heard it more than enough times outside of documents to not be surprised to one day learn consciousness plays a role. You sort of touched on this earlier, but I think this is a nice one to narrow down. Do you think ultimately there is an element of this phenomenon which is extraterrestrial and is visiting Earth? I'm I'm sorry, it kind of broke up in my ear there. Can you say that one more time? Bad timing. Um, do you think there's an element of this phenomenon which is extraterrestrial and is visiting Earth? Yeah, and sorry about it. it probably was bad timing, but my yeah, ear, uh, my earpiece right. kind of garbled there. So uh, for me, I'm a type of person that needs to see to believe. And I've never had an experience where I've looked at something and went, you know what? That is otherworldly. It's extraterrestrial. So that's my my personal answer. I, do, I don't know. When you look at the information and you look at the documentation, I can tell you as a researcher, the researcher part of me uh, can't rule it out. I believe that there's enough documented evidence to support that there's technology beyond what America and even the world will admit to. I think that there is technology that is being uh, displayed in documentation that is that that is years, if not in some cases, decades beyond what it is at the time. One particular quick example uh, was I, I did a, a small write up and video on this was that if you calculate the speed of what was seen uh, and also uh, verified on on radar, it was like fifty years advanced of how it was performing. So there's enough cases of that where you look at it and go, okay, is this really all some massive cover-up of classified technology, whether it be British, American, Japanese, Chinese, or Russian, or is this something else? So I've seen enough to not rule it out, and it's on the table. Can I tell you I'm convinced? No, I cannot. John, let's fire through some listener questions and thank mm -hmm. you to everyone who sent these over. Uh, we do have about four James and Jamies, but they are all different people. It just happened to be okay. a popular name getting in touch with you, John. So we'll kick off with a James. Uh, could you ask John what congressional correspondence can be foiled that might give insight into recent classified briefings? Is it handled differently than DOD classification and any avenues you can think of for stuff to quote unquote slip out? So Congressional records are off limits to FOIA. If they communicate with an agency, they're open. It's open season. You can FOIA those. Can you learn stuff from classified briefings? Likely not in their correspondence. They likely will not in a unclassified correspondence send a, a document over. Um, generally, what you're going to learn in, in my experience with this, and I've dug in on a couple hearing or excuse me, uh, briefings is that you're going to learn more from the internal planning and banter of that briefing than from the congressional side, if that makes sense. So you FOIA emails, you FOIA material. Um, I've received one of the PowerPoint presentations, heavily redacted, but one of the pre PowerPoint presentations of a classified UAP briefing. So that's where you're going to learn what's going on in the briefing. Uh, one last thing quickly I'll throw out, which I uh, haven't really talked about this much, but I have an open case for what I discovered through NASA, going back to NASA records, was a recorded but classified um, presentation by Jay Stratton, who at the time was the head of the UAP task force. He recorded the classified briefing for people like NASA director Bill Nelson to watch at his own leisure. The minute I had that in writing, it made it open season for me to go after it because now I know it exists. It's not a congressional record and uh, it is FOIA-able. So I have an open case for that. So that's where you're really going to get the secrets, not from the congressional side because FOIA uh, can't touch them. I'll say, James, thank you for your question. Uh, that was answered by John before about he, what he thinks the phenomena may be, multiple things. Strafe, your question was answered about NASA before. Thank you very much. Question from Barry. Barry asks, has John come across any hint of other classified government UAP projects alternative to ATIT or OSAP that may be hiding crashed UAP vehicles or studying them? 
Not on the crashes. And I've looked, I've, I've tried to get people on the records um, that have made those claims like a Dr. Eric Davis, uh, who doesn't care for me much, but um, getting those types of people on the record with sworn statements is key to trying to find those, those crash retrievals. And nobody has done that. So uh, when it comes to crash retrievals, no, when it comes to UFO investigation programs, I had discovered an air force manual in uh, early 2000 that had um, no program name per se, but it was a full outline on Air Force pilots reporting UFO sightings in the air, how to report them, what to jot down, where to send it to, and so on. And that was on the books for quite a few years. And for quite a few years, I tried to track down what records were submitted under that Air Force manual. Specifically, it was called 10-206. And uh, they're essentially all forwarded to NORAD, which is off limits to the FOIA. So how convenient that the one place that was receiving all of the Air Force UFO encounters is off limits to the FOIA. I eventually went through the Canadian government, got stacks of UFO sighting reports. Um, specifically, they're called service reports, C-I-R-V-I-S. And it kind of proved that NORAD was lying to me. So not necessarily a project going back to that question, but there have definitely been very, I would say, rarely bantered about um, protocols for reporting UFOs that the results are seemingly kind of elusive, that, that they're putting these documents in places that the FOIA can't touch. This next question, John, I think some of your haters might think you've sent this one in yourself under an alias, <laughs> but this is from Tom, and I'm going to read it word for word. Everyone knows John Greenwald Jr. is the king of the FOIA request. My question is, are there parts of the government that are exempt from FOIA? And if you could ask a forbidden department a question, what department would you ask and what would the question be? Um, that's funny that you said that. You said that. The king part was Luis Elizondo. That's a call to, he's the one that said that. Um, is the, the middle part of that question a part of the FOIA? Th and can you word that again? Not touch? Oh, yeah. So it was, um, are, there, are there parts of the government that are exempt from FOIA? You did mention yeah. before, like NORAD, NORAD for example. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. And, and the other part would be the White House. Um, everything else from a federal level, again, Congress is excluded, uh, but uh, federal agencies, military branches, uh, they are all subject to FOIA on the federal and military level. So the, the speculative part of the question is if you could ask a forbidden department a question, what department would you ask and what would the question be? Right now dealing, I mean, there's a lot of different topics I deal with, but obviously we're here talking about UFOs. I, I think right now that my pressing uh, question would be to the Air Force uh, and the question be, would be, where are you guys? You know, where are you in this conversation? Because I mentioned the 2000 manual they at the time were the only ones with a manual talking about UFOs. Now, fast forward 20 plus years, they're the ones that are absent from the UFO conversation, yet everybody else seems to be in it. So I, I think right now, if you were to ask me in August of 2022, I'd go to the Air Force and go, where are you guys in this conversation? Question from Jaden, and this one's a little bit more speculative, so it might be one for the 15-year-old John. Uh, I'd like to know what John's thoughts are on what these UFOs are here to do, as I imagine you would have spent a lot of time thinking about this over the decades. I think the easy answer would be to watch. Uh, and why I say that is you can put in an extraterrestrial origin or a foreign power origin, and that answer will work. So it's a, a safe way to put it. I think reconnaissance, again, no matter the source, is is something that we are seeing here because with the military reports, they're what? Above military exercises, training exercises, they're going into military bases. So I think it's safe to say that whatever this technology is, regardless of the source, reconnaissance is a big part of it. Um, this is a different show, but I mean, if, if for speculation reasons, if there is that extraterrestrial uh, route to all of this, why would they come here? And the biggest question for me is why would they care? And that for me is one of the biggest and hardest questions to tackle that we would think that they're watching us and, and so on, but why, like, why would they care? It's uh, I use the Antel analogy, you know, do we fly out to the middle of the Sahara 
to watch an anthill colony and, and not say anything and, and just look? Or do we go down and plant a flag and say, hey, we're here to share technology with you? No. So there's a lot of, in that speculative way to look at it, there's a lot of unanswered and very difficult aspects to tackle of that question because the human race is very egotistical. We, we want to believe that aliens would come and save us from our own nuclear warheads, right? And, and well, they can't have nuclear power because that makes them a threat to the galactic neighborhood. No, it doesn't. I mean, that's a grain of sand into an ocean, you know? I mean, nuclear weapons to a civilization that's traversing the stars is nothing, but it's egotistical for us to think they want to save us. Um, and it's a fascinating question to explore, which I will spare you from me going out on the tangent, but it is fun to speculate because we don't have the answer to it. And we want to believe certain things. We just, in my opinion, can't blindly accept them. We'll keep the speculation for the next appearance, Sean, because I'd love to have you back on. Two more of questions, course. though. Uh, sure. One of the other Jameses. Uh, James asks, what is the most likely scenario you see unraveling and being disclosed in the next five years? So where do you see the topic going in that five-year time frame? Contrary to what I think people believe right now, I believe secrecy is deepening. Uh, I believe it's it's actually provable that secrecy has deepened. Um, where I think we're going to be in five years, I mean, I hope we have more hearings and won't surprise me if we do. It won't surprise me if we have more reports. That's great. Uh, the problem is, is what will we get in the reports? And I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, when you look at the secrecy and how they handle it, specifically a document I got late last year proves my point. It's called the Security Classification Guide. And essentially what an SCG is, is that it takes any particular topic that's important to classification and outlines how and when and in what protocols to classify information. That's a nutshell way to put it. This was specifically on UAP. Almost the entire thing is redacted. They do not want to share anything on UAP. Anything on UAP is automatically classified. We know this because we have it in writing from the Pentagon spokespeople that anything that comes in is automatically classified. That means you have to go through legal means to get it. So it's a clear indicator that in the coming months and years, it will be incredibly difficult to extract UAP information, even though they're saying UAP even though they're talking generally about it, even though they may even have reports about it. At the end of the day, the specifics are classified, so it's going to be a challenge. I hope I'm wrong, but I think you're just going to see secrecy strengthen and deepen here in the next uh, couple of years. Something that we should hear more about in the future is the final question from Mike. Um, have you put in a FOIA request for anything related to Lou Elizondo's IG complaint? I have. The IG complaint itself is exempt. Uh, that's exemption B7. Uh, essentially, if they do take it uh, to um, a investigation level, uh, then uh, that's, that's one angle. If they don't, that's another. But regardless, it is exempt from release. So I was denied uh, it coming out. Obviously, the New York Post put it on their uh, YouTube channel. And you can download it from there, redacted. Uh, I guess the New York Post had redacted names that were not public. So you can get it in that way. I did get emails. So for those who missed that story, I had received internal communications within the DODIG that were about Luis Elizondo and his complaint. Um, I can prove that he was interviewed, even though we already knew that he had said it. But that's really kind of the only thing in the emails revealed. Um, I pointed out some other things, but again, the, another show for you. Um, but the the point I'm trying to make is, is that it's very hard to get information on his complaint. Uh, just this morning of the recording of this with you, I'm working on a video about his complaint and uh, doing a deep dive into the complaint, the claims therein, the names we can see, uh, and just kind of really exploring in depth. I talked to the Department of Defense uh, Office of the Inspector General today. I talked to them about the UAP evaluation they announced last year. They say that it is still ongoing and that they have no ETA on completion. Since I had their ear, I asked them about the Elizondo complaint. 
And I said, can you guys uh, confirm that an investigation even has taken place? Because that was claimed in the Daily Mail that Gary Reed was ousted, claimed by Luis Elizondo, that is, that his complaint uh, triggered that. If that was true, then an investigation has taken place and completed. They're not going to take action on an investigation that's ongoing. They will not confirm or deny they're doing anything with it. So it's very, very difficult to get information on. Um, So I wanted to at least tell you that I'm still pushing, but to your listener's question, it's near impossible to get anything for uh, personal privacy reasons and law enforcement reasons. But you've got a video about that on the horizon, which are, are always useful for yeah, people to watch. I, yeah. just, I just finished the slide deck. Um, for the most part, finished it probably uh, last night. I would say it's done. So we'll see. I'm I'm set to record it hopefully soon. But with my slide decks, I always edit and do more. And then it's never good enough. I'm kind of OCD in that way. So hopefully, though, I'll, I'll be able to... Um, uh, to, to, to really finalize it. But last night, I think, I think I'm comfortable with it and I'll record the video and we'll see what people think. Uh, people have been really requesting the deep dive. Um, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think that there's a lot of question marks from the IG complaint once it came out. Uh, so my aim is just to kind of deep dive into it, go through it and kind of point out some of the question marks that are in there. Well, there was a lot of things I would have loved to have got to with you, but just time constraints. You've been very generous with your time. And no problem. This will already go out in two parts. The the Guy Hottle memo video you've just released was really interesting. I watched that today. Shades of the Wilson David memo within the discussion of that as well. So I recommend people check that one out. I'll put the link in the description. I'm sure many of you already subscribed to the Black Vault on YouTube and check out the website. Make sure you do. Again, all those details will be in the description. John, it's been great having you on. And I certainly look forward to having you on again in the future. My pleasure. I had a blast. Thank you. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right inside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself, and I climbed out the window after the elf, and I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was red. I called up my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should take care of me, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me.
Thank you.